We're going to continue our series this morning on uh, our, our Christian response, the response to the offer of salvation. Now, we're going to transition after this. Uh, uh, after this series, we're going into another series. And what we're going to do, if you've looked at the flyer before, uh, the, the series that we're going to do throughout the rest of the year, we're going to transition into a discussion of uh, sort of how we operate as a church. And later on this year, we're going to look at some words about human existence and how we live and about uh, struggles that have and some things that uh, good works that we can do. Uh, all of these, of course, devoted to these these important words in the Bible. So we've really, over the first half of the year, starting with the existence of God and who God is into today's lesson, uh, a, a, a total sort of overview of how you might present the message to somebody who needs to become a Christian. And so today we're going to talk about the word Christian. We've talked about repentance and confession. We talked about immersion last week. Now I've become a Christian. What does that mean? What do I do with that new thing that I am? And we talk about labels. The, the word Christian in the Bible is a label. We as, as people, this is not a Christian thing. This is a human thing. We have a propensity for labeling ourselves and labeling others. And there's, there's the labels we claim for ourselves. And then there's the things that other people call us. And it can be very frustrating, think about it in your life, when people assign a label to you, some sort of title or belonging to a group or whatever it is, that you don't think applies to you. How does that make you feel? Somebody calls you something and you think, well, that's not really who I am. You don't know me. And, you know, there's this instinctual sort of, I'm the only person that gets to decide who I am, right? That's, that's sort of how we are. I get to label myself as what I belong to, who I think I am, you don't get to label me. You don't get to call me stuff. Don't put me in a bucket. Nobody wants to, nobody wants to be, uh, to be called something that they don't think represents them. We all understand this. And yet it is interesting in our word of the day, Christian, our word for the today, perhaps the most common label, word, thing that people call, people who follow Christ. I don't know. I was trying to think the other day when I was studying for this. I don't think there's a word that is used more often in our culture. Now, in their culture, a Christian was not the word that was primarily used. But in our culture, I think primarily we think about the label Christian. That's, that's probably what is the most common word. Uh, disciple sometimes is used, but we don't use disciple like they did, right? People, people don't use disciple in that way as much. And yet, I think perhaps this label, because labels carry connotations, right? You call somebody a, a thing, let's say just Republican or Democrat. You call them Republican or Democrat, which may technically mean you either vote for or belong to a particular political party. And yet, if I call you a Republican or a Democrat, based on your preconceived ideas about what those are, there's a whole host of other things that are associated with that label either good or bad, depending on, again, your perspective, depending on the perspective of the people around you, depending on my perspective as the person who calls you that. It's not just the word itself in its technical meaning. It's the word itself and all of the baggage that goes with a particular word. Christian is a word with a lot of baggage. Because unfortunately... People who claim the word, who claim the word for themselves, do not always do righteous things, right? People who claim to be Christians do not always do the things that Christ would do. 
And so I think in our context, the word does not perhaps carry the connotations that we would hope it would carry, that it would associate people with Christ. I don't think a lot of people, that's not, that's the wrong way to say this. I think a lot of people, when they use the label Christian, are not calling people followers of Christ. They're using it as a derogatory term, as a label for those who are too restrictive in their morality, who want to impose a particular view of morality on others, whatever you want to put in there. So we think about labels, the things that we call ourselves and the things that other people call us. When we think about this word Christian, it's a rare word in the Bible. It only occurs three times. Kind of rare based on how we use it, right? We use it so often. You know, are you a Christian? You're a Christian. We're Christians. Hooray for us. But it's not, it's just not used that often in the Bible. When referring to people who have obeyed Christ, there are several more common words. We've already used the word disciple. That's very common. The disciples. And you think about the Gospels. People who are literally following Christ around, what were they called? They weren't called Christians. They were called disciples. Uses the word saint. The holy people. The saints who are in Ephesus. The saints who are in Rome. The saints who are in wherever. This is a lot of used in the, in the, the epistles, the letters of the New Testament. Churches is a word that is used quite a bit. The assemblies of, of Christ, the assemblies of God, the assemblies of the Lord Jesus, right? The church that is in Corinth, the church that is in Ephesus, when you're referring to a group. We think about each of these more common labels. Each of them have their own emphasis. The word Christian, which only appears three times again, seems to have originated outside the church. This is not a label that the people of, of Jesus claimed for themselves. This is a label that was given to them by others. And so we're going to look at all these for all the, the times that this word is used in the Bible and really thinking about what should this mean for us. Acts 8, 1 through 5, as we build up to the first instance of this word Christian, when it was first given to the people who follow Christ, we really have to go back to Acts 8, 1 through 5. This is, of course, after the stoning of Stephen, the great persecution. Uh, now, on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were forced to scatter throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men buried Stephen and made lamentation over him. But Saul was trying to destroy the church. This is, of course, he who would become Paul. Entering one house after another and dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. And those who had been forced to scatter went around proclaiming the good news of the word kind of backfired. You think about uh, Saul, and not just Saul, but the, the Jews, their plan, we're going to stone Stephen, it's going to demoralize the church, sort of has the opposite effect, right? There's this great persecution, everybody goes around, and what do they do as they go? They proclaim the good news. And then, of course, it goes down into Philip, who went to Samaria. We looked at a little bit of Philip in Acts chapter And we skip, the, is my thing cutting in and out? It feels like it's cutting in and out. Anyway, Acts 11, 19 through 21. Now those who had been scattered because of the persecution, this is what we just read, that took place over Stephen, went as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the message. Now, they didn't do it well. Uh, maybe they did it well, but they didn't do it uh, inclusively, right? Because they spoke it only to Jews. But there were some men from Cyprus and Cyrene among them who came to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks too, proclaiming the good news of the Lord Jesus and the hand of the Lord was with them and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Now, what we're building here, a picture of, you're thinking about this from the perspective of an outsider. You hate the Christians in Acts 8. You persecute them. You kill Stephen. You're going to drive them out. And they go and they leave. Yay, we've gotten them out of Jerusalem. And yet what do they do as they go? They're just preaching the good news. Okay, you come to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, Cyrene. 
And these people who are scattered, they've come from Jerusalem. And you can think about how this went. They, they, they have to leave their home. They're fleeing. They go to these cities. They have to find places to live. They have to find work to do. They have to make relationships. And, and you know, it's going to come up in conversation, right? What, what brings you here? Oh, well, I was driven out of Jerusalem. Why? Well, because of Jesus. And then they begin, what do they do? To speak the message. They proclaim the good news. I'm here because of Jesus. I'm here because I was driven out of Jerusalem because I love Jesus, because the good news of the Lord Jesus. And people are being converted. We keep reading down in verse 22 of 11. A report about them came to the church in Jerusalem. They sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he rejoiced and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with devoted hearts because he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a significant number brought to the Lord. Barnabas departed for Tarsus, looked for Saul. This is, of course, the same guy, right, where there's a bunch of stuff that happened in the intervening time. And he found him, he brought him to Antioch, and for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught a significant number of people. And here's the first instance of this word Christian. The origin of this word that we use so much. Now, it was in Antioch that the disciples were first called Christians. And again, you can see how this label out. They're all in Jerusalem. There's this great persecution. They have to scatter. And what do they do? They go from place to place to place, being literally driven from their homes. But they're not, they're not speaking evil of the Jews, apparently. As they go from place to place, all they're doing is telling people about Jesus about the Lord that they serve, the good news, and they keep doing it over and over and over. They come to Antioch, but they start to include the Greeks. Finally, we're including people that aren't Jews. And they convert a number. It says several times in the text, so many people are being converted. And if you're living in Antioch, you're just a random baker in Antioch, and now suddenly your neighbors and their friends and there's businesses and, and suddenly people are here and they're preaching about Jesus and, and a bunch of people that you know Suddenly they all go to this, this assembly. And I don't know, they probably didn't have a church building. Maybe they did. They're probably meeting in homes. But your neighbors and your family members and your co-workers. And, and where did this come from? Why are these people all going to this, this group here? They're talking about this, this Jesus, this, the Christ. Who is that? You've never heard of him before because you live in Antioch. You don't have any idea what's going on in Jerusalem. And this group that is being built up, a significant number of people. And if you're not in the group, you gotta, you gotta talk about these people somehow. Who are these people that have come into our city that are causing this ruckus? Oh, those Christians. Because they won't shut up about Christ. They just keep talking about this Jesus. They just keep talking about this Christ guy. And so when we think about the early followers of Christ, what were they known for? How did they get this label? Because they kept talking about Jesus. That's all they did. As they went from place to place to place, they kept talking about the Christ. And so, of course, the people, the outsiders, who are in some sense being invaded by these, these people who won't shut up about Christ, what are they going to call the Christians? Of course, they're going to call them the Christians. Because that's the label. That's what they keep talking about. We go to Acts 26, verse 22. This is, of course, Saul, now Paul, thinking about his conversion. And, of course, 
you know, we, we sort of skipped over that. Saul, in the persecution of Stephen, he's holding the coats. He then is participating in this great persecution. And then he's converted in Acts chapter 9, Acts 11. We've read this already. Barnabas goes and gets him, brings him to Antioch. He's preaching in Antioch. Now, this is way later on in his life. He's, he's in, uh, under arrest. He's talking to some, read, uh, some rulers of the land about his conversion. Acts, 22, verse 20, uh, Acts 26, verse 22, rather. This is Paul talking. I have experienced help from God to this day, so I stand testifying to both small and great. What does he mean? Testifying to anybody who will listen. In this case, it's people who are in charge. Great. Saying nothing except the pro- what the prophets and Moses said was going to happen, that the Christ was to suffer and be the first to rise from the dead to proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. As Paul was saying these things in his defense, Festus exclaimed loudly, You're crazy! You've lost your mind, Paul! Your great learning is driving you insane! This is not an uncommon reaction to Christian behavior. Those Christians, they're crazy people. They're insane. They're, they're, they're deluded. Like, how can they believe in whatever? And you can put in whatever belief we want to about the Bible. This is not an uncommon reaction to people who won't shut up about Jesus. You're crazy. You've lost your mind. And Paul replied, I have not lost my mind, most excellent Festus. I am speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things. And he goes on and explains some more. Verse 27, he's talking to the king now, King Agrippa. Do you believe the prophets, King Agrippa? I know you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in such a short time, are you persuading me to become a Christian? Now, there's a couple ways to interpret this. There's a couple ways that this is translated. I do think, based on the context here, that Agrippa is not saying this as you're close to persuading me, but you really think that you're going to do this? You really think you're going to persuade me to be a Christian? One of those people? And this is really almost derogatory, right? I would never become one of you people, you Christians. Paul replied, I pray to God that whether in a short or long time, not only you, but also all those who are listening to today could become such as I am except for these chains. When you live the life of a Christ follower, most people, will react like Festus or Agrippa. You're crazy, or I would never be like you. That's the normal response. The usual response is one of those two things. Either you're insane, and I can't believe you believe what you believe, or maybe you're not insane, maybe you're a reasonable sort of person, maybe people think we're reasonable and nice and kind, but I would never be like you. That's Agrippa's point, essentially. You're not going to persuade me. So when we think about this word Christian here, it's not like Paul was crazy. It's very... The word in the first place given to the church in Antioch by the outsiders who had been in their town had been invaded and they needed a label for what was going on in their midst. Agrippa here, I think alluding to how outsiders talked about the Christians. You think you're going to make me one of you? Now, Peter goes into more detail. Peter uses this word as well. This is the last instance of this word in the Bible. Peter goes into more detail about how people might react to our constant talking about Jesus' lordship in our lives. You just won't shut up about Jesus. Paul, 
You're, you're insane. Your learning has driven you mad. Nobody rose from the dead. Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Paul, you're a crazy person. The Christians in Antioch who keep talking about Jesus, keep spreading the good news. What's that going to lead to in a lot of cases? 1 Peter 4, 12 through 16. Dear friends, do not be astonished that a trial of fire is occurring among you as though something strange were happening to you. Rejoice in the degree that you have shared in the suffering of Christ. This is not a bad definition of Christian. Someone who shares in the suffering of Christ. So that when his glory is revealed, you may also rejoice and be glad. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Who's going to be doing the insulting? It's all those outsiders that are labeling you, right? The outsiders that came up with the label of Christian, this is how it ended up. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because of the spirit of glory, who is the spirit of God rests in you, uh, rests on you rather. Let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or a criminal or a troublemaker, but if you suffer as a Christian. Again, the tie to outsiders and their reaction to us. In each case of this word in the Bible, first given to the, the people in Antioch that were first called the Christians, Agrippa says, you think you're going to persuade me to become a Christian? Peter says here, if you suffer as a Christian, that is, people label you something, they don't like you because of the things you're doing, they use this word as an insult, but you wear it like a badge of pride. Because it means that you are suffering like Christ. If you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but glorify God that you bear such a name. We think about the labels that people give us. The labels that people ascribe to us for political reasons or racial reasons or gender, whatever. Anything you want to put in there. Bearing the name of Christian in the first century was not a mark of praise. It was a word that they had to have a word to talk about these crazy people. These crazy people in our midst who are converting all our friends, who won't shut up about the Christ, who even is the Christ. And it led to this behavior. Persecution and insulting and suffering. That is where the word came from. And so when we think about this word Christian, a term given, again, I cannot stress this enough. The term came about because people would not shut up about Jesus. Is that your behavior? That you just won't stop talking about the Christ. That's why they got this name, Christian. And it should be why we have that name, Christian. Not given by the Spirit, but by outsiders as both a label and a subtle dig tied to persecution and suffering. And yet we think about how this people use this label today. Unfortunately, I suspect that this is not a label that is used to describe people who just won't shut up about Jesus. That's not how people are using this word today. We could reclaim this word if we act like the early Christians. If we kept on 
always talking about the good news. Then maybe we could reclaim that term, not nationally, that, that's gone, but we could reclaim it in our community. Those people up in Dewey, those Christians up in Dewey, what do they keep? Do they just keep talking about Jesus all the time? Anybody they meet, they just keep talking about Jesus. They kept, just keep talking about the Christ. That's how we could be Christians like they were Christians. Paul making his defense. He talks about the prophets. He talks about these things. And again, Felix says, you're insane. Yeah, that's, that's kind of how it's going to seem to people. If we just keep talking about Jesus all the time, it might appear to be insane. But what does Paul say? I'm not crazy. I'm using true and rational words. The existence of God we've talked about already. The existence of, of a creator. The evidence for the resurrection. The evidence for the reliability of scripture. These are true and rational things in, in some sense. And yet in another sense, of course people will think it's crazy that we devote our entire lives to some guy that lived 2,000 years ago. That does not seem, nor will it ever seem, rational. The term shows what should happen after our immersion. We think about this salvation that we've talked about. Repentance and confession and immersion, these things. That's not the end of it. That's the beginning, right? The beginning of this new life as a Christian is what? One who will constantly live holy for Christ and tell others the same. That's what the word means, to be a Christian. The process that begins with faith. I believe in what God has said and what he has done for me. That process really never ends. I repent. I confess. I turn my life around. I submit to God's will. I'm immersed into Christ. But it leads to the inevitable question, the question that we will end with. What will you, and I can put we here as a group, be known for? You claim to follow Christ. You claim to, to honor him, to serve him. What will you be known for in that? What do people around you think of you? How would they label you? How would they describe your behavior? Are you a person that is always talking about Jesus? Are you a person that demonstrates by your life that you are living for Jesus? Or are you just like everybody else who claims to be Christian and isn't really doing what Jesus wants at all? That's the question each of us have to think about. How are the people in your life going to remember you? As someone who did what Jesus said and always talked about him or not? And so we offer the invitation. Maybe you're a Christian, maybe you're not. If you have not submitted to the will of Jesus, we know how to do that. We've said it already several times. To repent and turn from our old life, to be united with him and emerging, to confess our sins. We understand all that. But if you're in here, and most of you in this room, I suspect, have already done those things. Your mission now is to never stop talking about him. So that others will do that too, right? So that others will submit to him as Lord. That's the challenge. If you're ready to do it, come while we stand and sing.